How are you today? Good. I am, uh, what am I? I'm Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church, and I welcome you to our worship services today. If you're a visitor, uh, super glad that you're here. Uh, check out the pallet wall like you saw in the announcement. You can get more information about our church through kind of guest services. And the people out there, I've got a couple of announcements, and then I'll talk a little bit about what today's sermon is, then we'll pray, I'll ramble incoherently, God will show up anyways, it'll be awesome. Okay. Uh, announcements, Bethesda mission donations we just talked about. Uh, if you want to be praying, if you want to get a list, you can grab one of these out in guest services and find out more information about what needs to be donated. We've also got VBS coming up, which is Vacation Bible School. It's for kids from ages from 4 to 12. It's July 15th through the 21st. So be... If Keith says it's the 21st through the 25th, then that's what it is. All right. Hope's not happy. Nobody's happy. So, okay. <laughs> um, we also, if you could be praying for Aroma Sports Camp, we've got sports camp this week um, here at the church. And then we're looking for somebody that can do some video editing. So if you have any experience with that or you're willing to learn that, we want to uh, get somebody to help us out with our kind of at the movies series. And so if you know anything about video editing, just let us know. Um, with all of that in mind, let me tell you what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about Purim. So say Purim. <laughs> we'll try that again because there's lots of audience participation today, so you got to get better than that. So we're going to be talking about Purim. Say Purim. Purim. Okay, very good. Uh, Purim is a feast. It is a Jewish feast. And it is uh, based upon what happens in the book of Esther. And the book of Esther has multiple chapters in it. And I need to teach you the entire book of Esther today in the next two to three hours. All right. So pray. And if you pray hard, it'll seem like only 35, 40 minutes has gone by. Let me pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we are mindful. Uh, we're mindful of a couple of things. We're mindful that you are a God who sets in motion feasts and festivals. You want us to be filled full of joy and hope and celebration. And God is your people. Sometimes we don't have that reputation. And we ask that you would show us how to engage the joy that you desire for us. Um, Father, we would also ask that um, all of us would be able to connect to you. That our minds would connect, our hearts would connect. Even the people in the room right now that don't even remotely believe in you, God. I pray that you would just meet them where they're at and help them take one step closer to you. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ. All God's people said, amen. amen. So um, I'm going to tell you some curiosities about the book of Esther before we really jump into it deeply. Um, here's a weird thing. At the end of the book of Esther, there's this festival feast that's set into motion, but in the entire book of Esther, God says nothing. There's no words in, in red. God doesn't say anything. Now, it's kind of interesting because in the book of Esther, there's a lot of pressure on people. There's a lot of life and death situations. There's a lot of really big, important stuff going on. 
And so you might ask yourself, well, why is the book of Esther in my Bible if God doesn't say anything? What you're going to notice in the book of Esther is that what happens is God's silently moving chess pieces into position. And at the perfect time, it's all going to go one way. Why is it important for Christians to know that? Because sometimes we read God's word and we go, oh, I see what God's word, I see what the Bible says, I get what I'm supposed to do. Other times we're like, okay, I'm praying and I feel like I'm, I'm hearing from God as best I can. I kind of know that I know that I know and I know what to do. But the book of Esther opens up another possibility. That sometimes scripture is not super clear and sometimes prayer doesn't seem to be working at all. Sometimes it's providence. It's these doors opening, so many of them that it can't possibly be just coincidence. So let me catch you up because we've got this whole great big story of Esther to teach you about. So if you take your Bibles and you kind of split it down the middle, to the left is kind of the Old Testament, to the right is the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a story of God interacting with people persons, but sometimes his people, the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And he's teaching them things, and he's guiding them, and he's protecting them, and he's doing all sorts of things with them. But every now and then, God's people just kind of get, they blow God off, and they blow off his rules and everything else. And what God does in the Old Testament is, if you are bad, you go into the naughty corner, and it's called captivity. So you'll be in Israel, and you'll be doing your thing, and then you blow off God and ignore all of his rules, and he goes, okay, uh, you kicked out of the pool, and you go into captivity in Babylon or someplace else. And when you're in captivity, you're supposed to be learning to trust God alone and to obey what he's saying. So what's happening in the book of Esther is the people of God are in captivity in the Persian Empire under King Xerxes. And Esther is a 15, 16, maybe 17-year-old girl. And she's an orphan. She has no mom, no dad. She does have an uncle that kind of, look, kind of looks out for her. But I want you to start to think about, because the pressure is going to mount on Esther, what's it like to be an orphan, no mom and dad looking out for you, for God to be completely silent, for circumstances to be going kind of crazy against you and you don't know what to do, for nothing in scripture really points out what's supposed to happen, and even prayer doesn't, you don't like get a voice that booms out and tells you things. What's it like to be her? Let me catch you up on a couple other things. So this king, King Xerxes, The Persians as an empire were kind of interesting. So what would happen is they were the biggest, baddest empire of the day. And every now and then, the king would sit down with his generals and, you know, they'd kick it around. Who are we going to conquer next? But here's some interesting history. While they were in the decision-making process of where are we going to go conquer next, what they would do to discern, to kind of figure out how to make a wise decision, is they would get drunk for a week. Now, it gets better. 
They would be drunk for a week, then they would double down and drink twice as much for another week, and then make a decision. Kind of crazy, don't you think? How many of you make great decisions? Never mind, I don't want to see show hands. So, this king, with his generals, is in the middle of that process, and gets another brilliant idea in your mind, because when you're smashed out of your gourd, you make all kinds of good decisions, he basically says, go get the queen, I want the queen to come in, and hang out with the guys, and like do a dance. And the queen basically sends emissaries back going, yeah, you and your little drunken boy club, there's not a chance that I'm going to show up for that. And so in a drunken rage, he does two things, maybe three things actually. One is he says, okay, I don't know who we're going to go conquer, but we're going to create a new law. And the law is that the queen needs to do what the king says. And the second law is, and all women that have husbands need to do what their husbands say. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, Xerxes. I mean, it's a great idea, but now it's, it's not going to happen. So Xerxes basically says to Vashti, you're fired, and we need to, create, we need to find a new queen. Now, things get interesting. So, then there's Esther. And there's all these, basically, beauty pageants of who's going to be the next queen of Persia. In the book of Leviticus, the Jews are told, you don't marry Gentiles. You don't marry the godless. You're separate. She enrolls in these beauty pageants anyways with kind of the endorsement of her uncle who says, shh, don't tell anybody about you being Jewish. Lots of anti-Semites. Jewish community's tight. Well, he could look over her. But again, I want you to be thinking about Esther. Here you are. You're 15, 16, 17. No mom or dad. You're in captivity. Is God real or not? And yes, go break all of the Levitical code and don't tell anybody that you're Jewish. What's going to happen as we go through this speed run of the book of Esther, I'm going to need you to join in the way that Purim is celebrated. So the way Purim is celebrated, when we get to the end of this book, there's going to be a, a celebration. And what happens is these three days of celebration, the story of the book of Esther is acted out several times, at least once a day over these three days. And as it's acted out, there's certain things that you have to do. So if I say the name Mordecai, you need to cheer. So I'm going to just say Mordecai. Mordecai. Okay, and if I say the name Haman, you need to boo. Okay, now only do it when I actually read scripture, okay? The last group, I, I didn't explain that. They, you know, they were overzealous, maybe a little bit. So King Xerxes set all this stuff in motion, and I need to explain just one more thing. The one more thing is there's a guy named Haman. Don't do anything now. 
And Haman doesn't like Mordecai because Mordecai won't bow down in front of him. Haman's like a second-in-command who's elevated himself right up to the level of sort of godlike idol worship. You're supposed to bow down and abase yourself before them. As a Jew, Mordecai won't do that, much like with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, the same thing with the boys that get thrown in the fiery furnace. You can read that story on your own. And Haman is really, really ticked off at Mordecai. So let me catch up in that part of the story. Esther 3, 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. Okay. Now, here's why this is an interesting way to tell stories. So if you hear this story every year at the Feast of Purim, it's not like, oh, it's Bible story time again. Oh, no, 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 no. What they would do is they would all dress up in outfits. It was three days of party and festivities, and people would dress up as Mordecai, and they'd dress up as Esther, and some people that were really, you know, kind of out there would dress up as Haman. And it was a three-day Halloween festival celebrating this story over and over again. Why? Again, I talked a little bit about so that you understand that some of how God communicates to us is through providence, but also so that you remember that God rescues and also for you to remember your own rescue stories and to pass all of that on to your kids and to the next generation. It becomes this ever-growing testimonial, testimony story of who God is and what he does in people's lives. So Haman's really ticked off about all of this. But Mordecai refuses to bow down. Mordecai's that kind of guy that, yeah, I know we're in captivity, and I know I should be afraid of Haman, and I know, you know, when in Rome, you should, you know, do it. But I'm not going to do any of that. I'm not going to worship any idols. I'm not going to abase myself before anybody. I'm not going to be afraid in light of God's silence or captivity or my own confusion about things. I refuse to do that. And Haman gets really, really angry. How angry? He starts to think about what he's going to do about Mordecai's disrespect. And what he does is he rolls the dice about it. The pure. Where we get pure im from. is the rolling of the dice. So in the beginning of the story, the decision-making process is given over to alcohol in massive amounts. And we see how brilliantly that worked out. This part of the story is about giving yourself over to the dice, to chance. And he does this for months and months and months, and as he's thinking about it, he realizes it's not just about Mordecai. No, 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 no. It's those people. Those people who serve God over man. Those people who believe all of this stuff. They're a disrespectful people. They're a rebellious people. They're a people that we can't control. They keep to themselves and have all these weird traditions. And you know what? If, if this empire is going to move forward, and I, I Haman, you know, I'm like second in charge of everything. If this empire is going to move forward, we need to get rid of just a lot more than Mordecai. We need to get rid of every man, woman, and child and liquidate them 
from the empire. And he keeps rolling the dice. And he's waiting for the opportune time. And eventually he pulls the trigger and he goes to see the king. And he says, king, you've put me in charge of a whole bunch of stuff. And I've got your back. You need to know something. There's a, there's a, there's a virus in this society that's disrespectful and won't follow authority or rules or anything else. And we need to get rid of all of them. And the king says, okay, Haman, I trust you. Just write it up as law, set a date, and set it into motion. And it says this in Esther 4, 14. Mordecai goes to talk to Esther because Esther ended up winning the beauty contest, made it all the way up to the point of actually becoming queen. And Mordecai goes to talk to Esther about this edict that's just been passed, that there's a date out there for everybody's liquidation. And Mordecai says this to Esther, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. So part of what Mordecai sets into motion is he goes and he talks to Esther and says, Esther, you can't, you can't be quiet. You, you've, you've got to realize this is a really crucial moment. And then Mordecai says an interesting thing. He says, if you remain silent, relief, deliverance are going to come. They're going to come from someplace. But there's no words in red, like I said, in this book. It, he's making a guess. He's, his assumption is God is protective. God is loyal. God will, will show up sooner or later and have this... But he also basically sets in motion, Esther, you're not going to have a part of that story if you don't step up to the plate. In fact, he goes on and he says this in 4.14, the continuation. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. And this is a critical Idea. Matter of fact, this is the quote that most people will do out of the book of Ruth. It's this idea that, or Ruth, either or, you know, um, the book of Esther. This is the quote because the idea is a lot bigger than just what's going on with Esther. The idea is two ideas. One is called sovereignty, one is called providence. Sovereignty is that God really does have a plan for everything. That there is this great big rule and reign that he's doing. It's not that evil doesn't ever happen, but yes, there is. Providence is when God is lining things up, even though he doesn't necessarily say anything or make it real obvious, but he's lining all these things up so that a conclusion will come. He's not going to run over free will all the time, but sometimes he rigs things a little bit. And in Esther's case, what Mordecai is saying to Esther is, Esther, you're the linchpin of coincidences of everything that could happen to save our people. Now, here's where things get interesting for you and I, because you might go, well, that's great for Esther back then. But what if part of the principle of reading the book of Esther is for all of us to step into Esther's shoes and to go, oh, it's not just that God was sovereign in her life and was using her providentially What if he's doing the exact same thing with me? 
What if the person looks out in their backyard after a tornado and says, great, it's, it's a disaster, it's months, it's overwhelming. And you know what? I was trying to hang in there with my faith thing, but I've been reading, and I don't think you protect your people, and I've been praying, and you know what? All this, this stuff just happened in my yard, and I just don't think that you're really there, and I don't think that you care. And guess how God might answer that? A bunch of people show up with a couple of trucks and some chainsaws and some rakes, and they step into the moment as God's emissaries basically saying by their actions, I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forsaken you. I am rescuing you. And that kid at school that's thinking about committing suicide, and that person at work that just went through divorce, that family that had to bury a child, and the list goes on and on and on. When your mind starts to go, where is God? And then the Esther question hits every single one of us. Am I walking through life looking for, maybe I'm here for such a time as this. Not just looking at scripture. You should look at scripture. I want you to look at scripture. Not just looking at prayer. I want you to pray. I want you to be looking in prayer. But going through life, looking at how is God positioning What are the broken people around me? What are the wounded people around me? What are the people that need me to step into their moments? Well, what happens is Esther ends up getting together with Mordecai and they come up with a plan. And the plan involves... Esther has to kind of risk her life to stand in front of the king and, and basically ask for something. You, you aren't supposed to go talk to the king unless you're invited, so she risks her life to goes to talk to the king. When she went, goes to talk to the king, she says, King, I really want you to come to this privatized party, this banquet that I'm going I'm to, and, I, and, and I'll, I'll talk to you more about what I want to talk to you there. So what happens is the, the king shows up at this banquet thing. And Esther, interestingly enough, doesn't spill the beans yet. It's weird. We don't know if she chickens out or if she just kind of got a, a check in her gut or just knew that she knew that she knew that she wasn't so scared. She, she's talking to the king, but she doesn't say it yet. But what she does say is, come back tomorrow. Like this was just the appetizer meal. The big stuff's coming. Okay, cool. And remember how I talked about maybe the the coincidences are going to get crazy? So what happens is the king goes back to bed, and he can't go to sleep. And nobody's invented Netflix yet, so he can't binge anything. So he's there, and he goes, goes, hey, you guys that keep track of all the the court records here, you know, for the empire, just go grab some random scroll. I don't care. Just go grab some scroll and read me something, you know, until I fall asleep interesting. And what happens is this, in Esther 6, 2 through 3. It was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus, which is basically Xerxes. The king said, Hey, what what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? See, you 
guys are, guys are a lot swifter than that first group. All right. So the king can't sleep. The scroll is read. And what he finds out in the scroll is there's this guy named Mordecai who had overheard coincidence, I think not, who had overheard these two doorkeepers talking about killing King Xerxes. And then, more, and then, and then King Xerxes asks, so hey, that Mordecai thing where he overheard this stuff, coincidence, what did we do to honor him? And they basically say, uh, you guys were still in your drunken beer thing and we didn't do anything. It's like, what? So, I told you there's this guy named Haman who hates the Jews and wants to get them all killed. So Haman gets together with Xerxes the next day, and Xerxes says to Haman, Hey, Haman, if you really think somebody's awesome, you think that they are fantastic, the great, and you, you want to honor them, you want to show them respect, you want to go over the top, like, what, like, Haman, you know, give me some advice. What would you do if you just, somebody was that awesome and you wanted to say thanks? And Haman being the self-centered narcissist that he is, goes, aha, king's talking about me. Because I'm that good. King, what you want to do is, you want to you know, put these clothes on them and put a horse on them, you know, and you want to play this, put him in a Ferrari and you know, have him go through town and have a sound system and light show and lasers and just go really big. The king says, that's great. It's awesome. I would love for you to go do that for Mordecai. Coincidences, Haman, and look at what you just set in motion by being a narcissist. And now it's really public, and Esther hasn't let the cat out of the bag yet, but. And so the next night, Esther has dinner with King Xerxes and Haman, and basically says, I'm Jewish, and my people are about to get liquidated because of what that guy, Haman, has set in motion. And the king is furious. And the gallows where Mordecai was supposed to be killed as the first example of the Jewish populace being liquidated Haman is hung from the gallows. Actually, he's impaled on the gallows. And it says this in Esther 7.10. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he prepared for Mordecai. (laughs) It sounded like a mix. We'll try it again. So they hanged Haman. On the gallows which they prepared for Mordecai. And the king's anger subsided. (laughs) So basically what happens is Haman has this rise to power and rolls the dice. And you've got this drunk king and you've got all this stuff set in motion. And then all of a sudden you've got this 15, 16, 17 year old girl who's 
in captivity and they don't hear anything from God, but they, they do pray and circumstances, she ends up being queen and circumstances, the king asked for a scroll to be read and circumstances, there was this overhearing of some doorkeepers and circumstances, Haman has to do this thing with Mordecai out in front of everybody and all of a sudden you realize, is God real? Yes. But he was silent. Yes. And you took it step by step by step through prayer, through not compromising, and you end up in God's rescue. And the funny thing for Esther is, you think about somebody that blatantly blew off the Levitical code and God uses them anyways. Because how many of us in this room might go, you know, I've, I, I would dig the idea that I could be Esther and I'd be here for such a time as this in somebody's life. But you see, I can't because, Dave, you don't know about my porn addiction. Or, Dave, you don't know about my alcoholism. Or, Dave, you don't know the condition of my marriage. You know, there's all kinds of things. I'm just not, I'm not that person. I can't go rescue other people because I don't have my act together. So I'm going I'm to throw out this question real carefully so, so we're all on the same page. If you're here and you have your entire act together, could you raise your hand, please? Yeah, God's, God's not waiting for that. Because that's a long wait. He uses us. And then it says this in Esther 9, 32. The command of Esther established these customs that I'll talk about in just a second, Purim. And it was written in the book after this crazy adventure goes down. And the Jewish people are protected through this bizarre set of circumstances. Esther comes up with these customs. So let me tell you a little bit what it's like at Purim. So I told you it's three days. It's three days of just festival and feasting. It's loud and obnoxious. There's no solemn part to it. There's no sacrifices a part of it. There's no candles and quietude about it. It's just... You know what the people in France did after the Nazis were kicked out of Paris? They would take red wine and they would pour it on the streets for days just to be cleansed of the Nazis, just to celebrate. They would dance on the street for days. That's the feeling. The other thing that would happen that we've already talked about is you'd, you would do these little mercy plays for three days straight that tell this story. And there was lots of audience participation. And it was like Halloween. People would dress up in these costumes and they would engage and they'd dress up in all kinds of biblical you know, character costumes. And then another thing that they would do is they would, they would eat these pastries. And they would gather up food for the poor and put them in boxes. And they would distribute those boxes to the poor. Why do you think? Because the poor are sitting out there going, where's God? I'm not protected. I'm not taken care of. Nobody's got a plan for me. I'm just on my own. And the book of Esther is this reminder to the Jewish people, did God take care of you? Yes. Then you go take care of others. And remind them of God's faithfulness through your own faithfulness, through your own generosity, through your own service to others. Be God's reflection out into the world. 
So some applications for you to think about are this. Remember all the times that God has rescued you. Sometimes you have to look back over your shoulder. There's plenty of times where I was mad at God going, you're not here, and you're not showing up, and this is wrong, and this is unfair, and this is unjust, and I don't like you, and blah, 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 blah. And I keep plowing forward, trying to obey as best I can, and then I look back over my shoulder over the last six months or 18 months, and I start to realize, oh my gosh, all I was doing was whining and complaining, and I see how he opened door after door after door after door after door. In the middle of it, I don't see it sometimes. Esther and Mordecai may not have seen it all in the middle of it. But at the end, wow, what are the chances? This guy's reading this thing. What are the chances? The gallows are built and then the, the other guy goes, what are the chances? Exactly. But more than just Esther's story, our own stories. We share them with friends. We share them with family. We grow this story of testimony of what it's like to be engaged with God. It's scary sometimes, and sometimes bad things happen. But I've also been mesmerized at the adventures and the protection and the salvation, rescue that comes from following God. And it's more than just sharing those stories. It's sharing two other things. It's sharing Esther's understanding that you're here for such a time as this. And walking through your life that way. So that the people that are around you, you're constantly saying, God, am I part of the coincidence of what's happening in their life? Because you have, you've got me here for a reason. And the second part is, at the end of Purim, they would put together these boxes to distribute to the poor. So one is sort of an accidental, am I here for such a time as this? And one is an intentional, you are here for such a time as this, to bring joy and hope to others. Let me pray. Father God, it seems weird to read a book where you don't say anything. But it's also kind of cool that even though there's silence, you're still sovereign and you're still doing things. I would ask, Father, for each of us that we would come to recognize that there are not coincidences, but your hand is moving. That we would come to realize that you have us in the lives of a variety of people for such a time as this. And would we come to realize that the great generosity and protection and love that you've given to us help us to box that up and to give it to those that are not as fortunate we need to be reminded of your love. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.